Welcome to Trifecta Now, Living a Course in Miracles. This is season five, and it's called The Book Club. We're on chapter 21. Welcome back. Seek not to change the world, but to change your mind about the world, quote unquote. Perception is our chosen view of the world we see. What we choose to see and how we choose to see it, it's all us. In other words, we perceive the world as we want to see it. We create our own viewpoint of it, and that perspective and perception is just ours. It is not God's. It is not what God sees. This is how we got confused about sin. We were led to believe that God sees and perceives as we do. Simply, he does not. God sees us from one perspective and as one with everything. He sees perfect spirits living a worldly existence that we chose. He has no judgment or perception about that choice, hence free will. He gave it to us so we could do what we will. That is why this journey has a purpose. That is why we chose this journey, to see the difference between what we perceive and what is truth. Truth is not of this world. Today, we'll start with chapter 21, which is called Reason and Perception. I'll cover the following sections. Introduction, the forgotten song, the the responsibility for sight, faith, belief, and vision, the fear to look within, and the function of reason. So let's begin. On page 445 is where my chapter 21 begins. The introduction starts like this, paragraph one. Projection makes perception. The world you see is what you gave it, nothing more than that. But though it is no more than that, it is not less. Therefore, to you, it is important. It is the witness of your state of mind, the outside picture of an inward condition. As a man thinketh, so does he perceive. Therefore, seek not to change the world, but choose to change your mind about the world. Perception is a result and not a cause. And that is why order of difficulty and miracles is meaningless. Everything looked upon with vision is healed and holy. Nothing perceived without it means anything. And where there is no meaning, there is no chaos. Or sorry, where there is no meaning, there is chaos. Paragraph two, sentence seven. So we're kind of skipping to the bottom here. The world you see, but shows you how much joy you have allowed yourself to see in you and to accept as yours. And if this is its meaning, then the power to give it joy must lie within you. Hmm. So the introduction starts right away with basically the quote, the sentence um, that I quoted at the beginning is exactly what is said in the first paragraph. I suggest you read those two paragraphs over again. But basically what is trying to say here is we use our eyes, the eyes that are part of this body, this avatar that we have, and we see the world around us and we think that what we see is real because our eyes show us that. And we think we see it, it must be real. We're going to talk about in this chapter about vision versus sight. Sight is something we see with our eyes, but vision is something we see with our souls. We see it as if we've known it before, that it's not of this world. So the next uh, section at the bottom of the page is called the Forgotten Song, but we are going to switch to the next page because I jumped to paragraph two. Paragraph two says, how foolish 
is it to attempt to judge what could be seen instead? It is not necessary to imagine what the world must look like. It must be seen before you recognize it for what it is. You can be shown which doors are open and you can see where safety lies and which way leads to darkness, which to light. Judgment will always give you false direction, but vision shows you where to go. Why should you guess? Paragraph three says, there is no need to learn through pain and gentle lessons are acquired joyously and are remembered gladly. What gives you happiness you want to learn and not forget? It is not this you would deny. Your question is whether the means by which this course is learned will bring you the joy it promises. If you believed it would, the learning of it would be no problem. You are not ha- you are not a happy learner, yet because you still remain uncertain that vision gives you more than judgment does, and you have learned that both you cannot have. Next paragraph, which is paragraph four, sentence five says, they do not understand the lessons keep, they do not understand that the lessons keep them blind. This they do not believe. So they keep the world they learn to see in their imaginations, believing that their choice is that or nothing. They hate the world they learned through pain and everything they think is in it serves to remind them that they are incomplete and bitterly deprived. Okay, so I'm going to give you a bit of context here. So what we're talking about is the way back to what I said just a few minutes ago about the way we see the world and how we see them through these eyes. And as long as we see them through these eyes, we're going to see the destruction and the pain and the misery because we're going to perceive it that way. And a lot of people say to me, well, how else are you going to perceive it? That's exactly the way it is. Yes, yes, in this world, it is that. But it is not what we are, and it's not where we came from. It's something that was created here. And if you can see this as an illusion, as something that's all false and not what we are, then you give no meaning to it. You give no value to it. When you don't give any value to it, no pain can come of it. That's basically what they're saying. Paragraph five says, thus they define their life and where they live, adjusting to it as they think they must, afraid to lose the little that they have. And so it is with all who see the body as all they have and all their brothers have. So you there, that sort of summed it up, that paragraph five, those couple of sentences saying that's all based, those kinds of things all come from fear and it's based on a body perception. As long as we see ourselves as bodies, we're going to see the destruction of bodies. We're going to see the pain of bodies. We're going to see all of that. It's removing yourself from the idea that we're just bodies and opening up to the fact that we are way more than that. That's what shifts everything. Next page on 447, paragraph eight says, beyond the body, beyond the sun and the stars, past everything you see and yet somehow familiar is an arc of golden light that stretches as you look into a great and shining circle. And all the circle fills with light before your eyes. The edges of the circle disappear, and what is in it is no longer contained at all. The light expands and covers everything, extending to infinity, forever shining, and with no break or limit anywhere. Within it, everything is joined in perfect continuity. 
nor is it possible to imagine that anything could be outside, for there is nowhere that this light is not. Paragraph 9, sentence 4 says, except the vision that can show you this, and not the body. You know the ancient song and know it well. Nothing will ever be as dear to you as is this ancient hymn of love the Son of God sings to his Father still. You know, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking that all of you who are listening to this podcast, all of you who are following along, you know, are chapter 21, and I can see there's a steady group of people who are listening to this every week. You're here, you're this far because a part of you knows this can't be all there is. This can't be it. There's no way that the destruction, the fear, the devastation, the wars, everything that goes on in this world can be all there is. You're here because you know deep down the part of you that has that light knows no way. This isn't it. This is just part of this story. It's not what I am. Next page, the responsibility for sight. So paragraph two, start it there. Again, um, just reminding everyone to read it all. And of course, if you have any questions or you or I don't cover something that you read and you're unsure of, please feel free to email me and I'll be happy to give you my interpretation of what I've read. But I, I always try to pick things that sort of sum up everything in that section a little bit better with a little bit more clarity. I try. <laughs> Paragraph two, this is the only thing that you need do for vision. Happiness, release from pain, and the complete escape from sin, all to be given you. Say only this, but mean it with no reservations, for here is the power of salvation lies. I am responsible for what I see. I choose the feelings I experience, and I decide upon the goal I would achieve. And everything that seems to happen to me, I ask for and receive as I have asked. That's a wonderful thing to say, but I know for some people when you hear this, you're thinking, what? What What do you mean I asked for this? And that's the hard thing, but that's the body perception that gets us confused. And we think, there's no way I asked for this. But on some level you did. And that's what you have to explore. But I liked, I, I love the part that says, I chose I choose the feelings I experience and I decide upon the goal I would achieve. We do. Nobody can hurt you unless you feel the hurt. Nobody can anger you unless you feel the anger. People can be triggers for it, but they're not the, where the emotion's coming from. The emotion's coming from you. Learn to tame that, learn to remove those emotions and you will see a very different person in front of you, in front of you in the mirror. Deceive yourself no longer that you are helpless in the face of what is done to you. Acknowledge, but that you have been mistaken and all effects of your mistakes will disappear. Paragraph three says, it is impossible the son of God be merely driven by events outside of him. It is impossible that happenings that come to him were not his choice. His power of decision is the determiner of every situation in which he seems to find himself by chance or accident. No accident or chance is possible within the universe as God created it, outside of which is nothing. Suffer and you decide it. 
Sin was your goal. Be happy and you gave the power of decision to him who made, who must decide for God for you. This is the little gift you offer to the Holy Spirit and even this he gives to you to give yourself. For by this gift is given you the power to release your Savior that he may give salvation unto you. Paragraph four says, Begrudge not then this little offering. Withhold it and you keep the world as you now see it. Give it away and everything will goes with it. Never was so much given for so little. In the holy instant is this exchange effective and maintained. Here, next page, is the world you do not want brought to the one you do. And here, the one you do is given you because you want it. Yet for this, the power of your wanting must first be recognized. You must accept its strength and not its weakness. And you must perceive that what is strong enough to make a world can let it go and can accept correction if it is willing to see that it was wrong. That is very powerful right there. It's saying it's all up to you. Hold on to it. It's your choice. Let it go. You Again, your choice. You decide. But remember that all you have to do is ask. And for the wanting, you will receive. That's all you have to do. Ask. Paragraph five, the world you see is but the idle witness that you were right. This witness is insane. You trained it in its testimony as it gave it back to you. You listened and convinced yourself that what it saw was true. You did this to yourself. See only this, and you will also see how circular the reasoning on which your seeing rests. This was not given you. This was your gift to you and to your brother. Be willing then to have it taken from him and be replaced with truth. Paragraph eight sentence forces all that the ego is, is an idea that is that it is possible that things could happen to the son of God without his will and thus without the will of his creator whose will cannot be separate from his own. Sentence seven, a little further down says, this is the mad idea you have enshrined upon your altars and which you worship. And anything that threatens this seems to attack your faith for here is it invested. Think not that you are faithless for your belief and trust in this is strong indeed. Paragraph seven says the Holy Spirit can give you faith and holiness and vision to see it easily enough but you have not left open and unoccupied the altar where the gifts belong, where they should be. You have set up your idols to something else. This other will, which seems to tell you what must happen, you give reality and what you would show you otherwise must therefore seem unreal. All that is asked of you is to make room for truth. You are not asked to make or do what lies beyond your understanding. Paragraph eight says, be willing for an instant to leave your altars free of what you, next page, placed upon them and what is really there, you cannot fail to see. The holy instant is not an instant of creation, but of recognition. For recognition comes of vision and suspended judgment. 
when only it is possible to look look within and see what must be there plainly in sight and wholly independent of interference and judgment, undoing is not your task, but it is up to you to welcome it or not. Faith and desire go hand in hand for everything believes and what it wants. So that's really interesting. I'm going to stop there for a second. Undoing is not says the undoing is not your task. And a lot of people say, what? I'm I'm not sure I understand that. What do you mean the undoing? Don't I have to undo it? Mm. No, you have to give it up. It's a little different. So when you give it to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit undoes it. You don't even have to do that. There is a great sense of peace and calmness come come that comes from handing it all over to the Holy Spirit. I can tell you that personal experience. Huge calmness, huge peace from that, because you no longer take on stuff that is not yours to take on. It's a great feeling. All right, paragraph 10. When vision is denied, confusion of cause and effect becomes inevitable. The purpose now becomes to keep obscure the cause of the effect and make effect appear to be cause. Hmm. Sentence eight, near the bottom of that paragraph says, nothing can have effects without a cause and to confuse the two is merely to fail to understand them both. Paragraph 11, it is as needful that you recognize you made the world you see as that you recognize that you did not create yourself. They are the same mistake. Nothing created, not by your creator, has any influence over you. Hmm. Next page, page 451, paragraph 13 says, yet the truth is you and your brother were both created by a loving father who created you together and as one. So that is the end of the responsibility for sight. So again, telling us that it is up to us to hand it all over. And in doing so, you release yourself from the burden of holding on to your perceptions, this world perceptions of things. The next section is called Faith, Belief, and Vision. That's on 451. Paragraph one starts with, all special relationships have sin as their goal, for they are bargains with reality towards which the seeming union is adjusted. Forget not this, to bargain is to set a limit, and any brother with whom you have a limited relationship you hate. Sentence six says, and that is why the Holy Spirit must change its purpose to make it useful to him and harmless to you. Paragraph two says, if you accept this change, you've accepted the idea of making room for truth. The source of sin is gone. You may imagine that you still experience its effects, but it is not your purpose and you no longer want it. No one allows a purpose to be replaced while he desires it, for nothing is so cherished and protected as is a goal the mind accepts. Paragraph three says, why is it strange to you that faith can move mountains? Question mark. Next page. This is indeed a little feat for such a power, for faith can keep the Son of God in chains as long as he believes he is in chains. And when he is released from them, it will be simply because he no longer believes in them. Withdrawing faith that they can hold him and placing it in his freedom instead. 
Paragraph four says, faith and belief and vision are the means by which the goal of holiness is reached. Through them, the Holy Spirit leads you to the real world and away from all illusions where your faith was laid. This is his direction and only one, and oh, sorry, the only one he ever sees. And when you wander, he reminds you there is but one. His faith and his belief and vision are all for you. And when you have accepted them completely instead of yours, you will have need of them no more. For faith and vision and belief are meaningful only before the state of certainty is reached. In heaven, they are unknown, yet heaven is reached through them. Hmm. Paragraph five, it is impossible that the Son of God lack faith, but he can choose where he would have it be. Paragraph six says the Holy Spirit has a use for all the means of sin by which you sought to find it. But as he uses them, they lead away from sin because his purpose lies in the opposite direction. He sees the means you use, but not the purpose for which you make them. You made them, sorry. Sentence six is the Holy Spirit sees perception as a means to teach you that the vision of a, of a holy relationship is all you want to see. Then will you give your faith to holiness, desiring and believing in it because of your desire. Paragraph seven says faith and belief become attached to vision as all sorry, as all the means that once served sin are redirected now towards holiness. Take a little drink. Next page, page 453. Sentence four says, and so the body has your faith and your belief, but holiness would set your brother free, removing hatred by removing fear, not as a symptom, but at its source. Paragraph eight says, those who would free their brothers from the body can have no fear. Hmm. Paragraph nine, sentence two says, brother, the Holy Spirit knows that sacrifice brings nothing. He makes no bargains. And if you seek to limit him, you will hate him because you are afraid. The gift that he has given you is more than anything that stands this side of heaven. The instant for its recognition is at hand. Paragraph 10 says, your faith in sacrifice has given it great power in your sight, except you do not realize you cannot see because of it. For sacrifice must be exacted of a body and by another body. The mind could neither ask it nor receive it of itself, and no more could the body. The intention is in the mind, which tries to use the body to carry out the means for sin in which the mind believes. So I'm going to stop there and just state that this all speaks to the whole cyclical thing of the body and the mind and thinking the mind thinking the body is real and it's important and it's something that leads to, and somehow if we sacrifice a body or we sacrifice something from our body, that that is something we're giving up to God. And this book is clearly saying that there is no need of any sacrifice at all of any kind. And the body, most of all, is something we don't have to sacrifice. It is just something that we use as a vehicle to do in our journey here 
on this in this world. Paragraph 12 on the next page, 454, says the body was made to be a sacrifice to sin and in the darkness, so it still is seen. Yet in the light of vision, it is looked upon quite differently. You can have faith in it to serve the Holy Spirit's goal and give it power to serve as means to help the blind to see. But in their seeing, they look past it, as do you. The faith and the belief you gave, it belongs beyond. You gave perception and belief and faith from mind to body. Let them now be given back to what produced them and can use them still to save itself from what it made. So that is the section called Faith, Belief, and Vision. <laughs> Tying all of those things in and what we put our faith in. And, and, and basically it's saying what you put your faith in, you see. Because it's your interpretation of it. And we need to move away from that interpretation. Because there's only one truth. There's only one. And he is our father and our creator. Na, page 454, the fear to look within, which I think, oh no, it's not the last section we're going to do. Um, actually, I think it is the last section we're going to do. We might hold off and do the function of reason next in two weeks. Um, just watching the time. So I'm going to just do the fear to look within and then we'll stop that for today. Paragraph one says the Holy Spirit will never teach you that you are sinful. Errors he will correct, but this makes no one fearful. You are indeed afraid to look within and see the sin you think is there. This you would not be fearful to admit. Fear in association with sin, the ego deems quite appropriate and smiles approvingly. It has no fear to let you feel ashamed. Paragraph two says, remember that the ego is not alone. It rules, its rule is tempered and its unknown enemy, whom it cannot even see, it fears. Loudly, the ego tells you not to look forward, for if you do, your eyes will light on sin and God will strike you blind. This you believe and so you do not look. Yet this is not the ego's hidden fear, nor yours who serve it. Paragraph three says, what if you looked within and saw no sin? This fearful question is one the ego never asks. And you who ask it now are threatening the ego's whole defensive system too seriously for it to bother to pretend it is your friend. Those who have joined their brothers, next page, have detached themselves from their belief that their identity lies in the ego. A holy relationship is one in which you join with what is part of you in truth, and your belief in sin has already been shaken, nor are and your belief in sin has been already shaken, nor are you now entirely unwilling to look within and see it not. Paragraph four says the liberation still is only partial, still limited and incomplete, yet born within you. Paragraph five says, this part has seen your brother and recognized him perfectly since time began, and it desired nothing but to join with him and to be free again, and as once it was. It has been waiting for the birth of freedom and the acceptance of release to come to you. 
Paragraph six says, there is no inconsistency in what the Holy Spirit teaches. This is the reasoning of the saint. You have perceived the ego's madness and now, and not been made afraid because you did not choose to share in it. At times, it still deceives you. Yet in your saner moments, it's ranting strike no terror in your heart. Paragraph seven, sentence three says, the ego's weakness is its strength. The song of freedom, which sings the praise of another world, brings to it hope of peace. For it remembers heaven, and now it sees the heaven has come to earth at last, from which the ego's rule has kept it out as so long. Heaven has come because it found a home in your relationship on earth, and earth can hold no longer what has been given heaven as its own. Next page. Paragraph eight says, look gently on your brother and remember the ego's weakness is revealed in both your sight. What it would keep apart has met and joined and looks upon the ego unafraid. Little children, oh sorry, little child innocent of sin, follow in gladness the way to certainty. Be not held back by fear's insane insistence that sureness lies in doubt. This has no meaning. What matters it to you, what matters it to you, how loudly it is proclaimed. The senseless is not made meaningful by repetition or by clamor. Okay, so that is the end of the fear to look within. So just kind of summing that up a little bit, that's another thing that we've been taught is that or that we have not been taught is that we are really what we are is within. It's not an outside thing. It's not outside of us. It's not on our skin. It's not a part of this body. What we truly are is an inside thing. And we have to look within in order to understand it. We have to look within in order to accept it and to see all of our brothers and sisters as the same all one with the same journey, with the same purpose, and all connected. And when you do that, fear doesn't have a role in your life anymore. You'll let it go. It won't matter because this body won't matter. We live in a world that makes the body a huge focus, particularly right now. It's all about sickness and fear and dying and death. And it's it's so personified. And it's not true. It's not the truth. It's this world's illusion and we have to let that go. If we want to find peace, we have to let that go. Okay. So next week we will continue with uh, chapter 21, reason and perception. And we will cover the function of reason. Function of reason, reason versus madness, the unanswered question and the inner shift. We may start chapter 33, 33. Wow, that's jumping ahead. And there isn't a chapter 33. We may start chapter 22, which is called Salvation in the Holy Relationship. Um, in two weeks time, we'll just see what the time looks like and how much information comes out at that time. And if that's the case, we will start 22 at that time as well. My online book club is on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If anyone is interested in joining, please email me and I will send you the link and there's no cost involved in that. Thank you for listening. 
I can be contacted by email at trifecta now three, the number three, trifecta now three at gmail.com. If you'd like to ask a question, ask for some clarifications, want to make a comment, or just say hello. Keep sharing the love. And remember, this is our journey. Let's together find our way. Live in this moment. It's the only one that truly matters. Always love. Denise.